Amen. Well, thank you for having us. We, uh, it's a blessing to come up here and, and minister here. And our thoughts and prayers have been with uh, your pastor and his wife and everything that they've been going through. And also, that's a burden that your church is going through, too. It's not, it's not just them. And, and so we're, uh, we are blessed. Um, I mean, I, I could think that probably just a matter of, you know, 10 years ago or so that there wasn't maybe the multiplicity of, of, maybe called or available uh, men that could preach uh, in the local area that could come and fill in. So the Lord's done something in the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, just over the past really uh, 10, 15 years. Um, and we've seen some churches planted and some really good Bible-believing works been popping up uh, all over the place. And we're blessed to be a part of one. And uh, hi, baby. And she's just going to do that. But that's that's our amen section right there. <laughs> So, um, so we've been down, uh, helping, um, well, I want to say we helped start the church down there in Hillsboro Bible Believers Baptist Church. Uh, we had our first service ever. It was, uh, October 10th, 2010. And, um, at the time, you know, my, one of my best friends is, uh, the pastor there, Pastor John Robinson, who I graduated with while well, I graduated a year before him from Pensacola Bible Institute down in Florida. And I'm from Seattle. I'm from, um, so everybody else at our church is transplants, but I get to say that, you know, this is my home. I'm homegrown. And, uh, we've been, after school, I moved up to, uh, go back to my home church. It's Open Door up in Linwood, Washington. And it used to be Pastor Blue. Now it's Pastor Jason Murphy, who's, who was my youth pastor and one of my very best friends. And, uh, the work got started down in Hillsboro. And my heart was to be down there and helping, but it just wasn't in the Lord's timing. We were there for the first service and we made a big deal of it and, uh, started in a, started in a library, a school library actually for our first service. So, um, and then things kind of went from there and the Lord just didn't open the door to go there. And in fact, he sent us to Denver, uh, Colorado of all places to help minister a, a church that was really, um, in a similar stage in infancy stage. Um, and that's Pastor Pastor Adrian Dominguez, and I don't know if anyone here knows him, um, but we helped out there for a while. And uh, I, th- I want to say it was 2016 that we moved here uh, back back here to well to Oregon to Portland area. And uh, there I uh, down there I'm the youth pastor, song leader, treasurer, and whatever else whatever other title they'd like to put on me. <laughs> so, uh, I have a great time with the youth and, um, I truly feel, um, very blessed and, um, I feel like, uh, spoiled to be able to be a youth pastor. And so, um, just being able to minister to teens was, uh, something easy. Like I didn't even really need to feel like a calling from God to do it, but, uh, he definitely has put me in that position, and I really appreciate it. So that's kind of a little bit of a background and testimony, uh, but really quickly, the important part of my testimony, I was saved at uh, seven years old, and not traditionally where uh, how seven-year-olds get saved, which would be in like, you know, a really good Bible-believing church, and they're in the Sunday school. Um, my dad and mom got a divorce, and because of that, my dad sought God, and he sought out a, a man from his college days that had witnessed to him. And he found that guy who happened to be an associate pastor at a Methodist church. And so the next thing you know, we're 
in a Methodist church with my dad, and I'm in a Sunday school. And thank God, this Methodist church, uh, for everything they are, um, typically in some of these churches, they still have the gospel in the kids' Sunday school classes. So uh, a VBS came around, and my dad, when he got saved, he was like shot out of a cannon for the Lord. And um, immediate change, on fire would be an understatement. And uh, I just remember even at seven years old thinking, my dad is weird now, you know. And um, But it was like uh, drinking the gospel and Bible through a fire hose when we would go to his house. And I, I think he kind of felt like he needed to make up for what we were getting over here with the few, few days that we would get every two weeks with him. And so... I don't even remember getting foundation biblically um, because I was so young, but I did get it on those weekends with my dad. And uh, a VBS came around at that church, and I understood very clearly. It's very interesting. Like, I knew the day I was going to get saved because it was kind of like I understood the gospel, and it was like, I want to get saved. And he said, well, let's do that at VBS. And so I came to VBS as a seven-year-old knowing once they get this invitation, I'm going to go and get saved, (laughs) you know. And, uh, so it was interesting. I never, I don't ever remember not, um, you know, I don't remember not believing anything that I ever heard about the Bible or about Jesus Christ. So salvation, I mean, it's great to get saved when you're little, you, you have very little doubts, you know? And so I got saved then and through process of time and, um, and all that ended up being a regular teenager kind of in the world and, but also having the Holy Spirit there, you know, yelling, silently in the background and uh happened to through providence found myself at open door baptist church in linwood when i was 16 years old started going there by myself and made some decisions there as a young man that changed my life so um that's my testimony in a really short order all right and uh so i went to bible college and then here i am right now today okay five kids married later here we go um, I'm going to do a study tonight. It's going to be kind of teachy preachy um, on something that I've spent a lot of time uh, considering, meditating on, studying. Um, I have somewhat of a ramble style, and so I apologize, but it seems like so do you. Um, so I think it'll fit well. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of a study of the glory of God tonight. Um, and so... Um, when I study things, I, I, I probably, I'm an over-analysis kind of individual, and um, I also try to think about how things work out practically um, in, in the real world. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of a study on the glory of God tonight, and we're going to start, like all good Baptist sermons start on studies, we're going to define the word, right? Um, and you will find it is actually very difficult to define the word glory. And that is why um, I kind of dove into the study of glory. Because if you look in the scriptures and you want to do a word search on glory, um, you'll have a hard time pinning down exactly what it is. Um, And there's a few other terms and even ideas like that in the scripture that are kind of hard to to pin down. Um, So I don't think I need to explain to you the importance of studying what glory is. I mean, just think about all things are created for his pleasure. I mean, glory glory to God. He won't share his glory with another. There's enough about glory there that it's an important thing to study. Uh, so we'll start with uh, defining words because words matter. And a word, the Bible says, is fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. 
Um, so it matters um, that words are fitly spoken. And that, I would say, is probably what separates us as Bible believers, wouldn't you say? Is that we care about how a word is used and, and where you use it and the right way to use it. And we're not lazy with that. Um, and I don't think the Lord is lazy with words. So um, I think you need to fitly speak words because otherwise people strive about them to no profit, the word of God says, um, but to the subverting of the hearers. So um, I rather I hope these words will edify you, build you up in your most holy faith. And uh, there may be reproofs and corrections in this and, and praise the Lord. Good, hopefully, um, or hopefully an encouragement. And that's really what this is meant to do is encourage you that there are wonderful and amazing things about the Lord. And we, of course we know that, but then if we can just think a little bit deeper into it and we can kind of be, maybe walk away just a little more amazed by who he is, right? So, uh, these words will be to your health and hopefully not to your hurt. And, uh, so we're going to study this seriously and delicately and it's, it's the word glory. So this word glory, and a lot of times you, you want to go to like, what's the genesis of this, you know, and we have our English language. And the word glory, and I'm not going to go back to Hebrew or Greek or anything like that. We're just going to focus on what is our word, which is glory. And uh, really, I mean, it has Latin roots, and you would recognize it as gloria. The very first time in literature that the word was ever used is in the form of gloria. And that was about 1200 A.D. And it's interesting about studying words, and uh, I believe there's, uh, if you study you know, Webster's Dictionary and folks that went about really trying to study the, um, I want to, I want to say it's the epidemiology of words. That might be the right word of where did they come from exactly? And it is interesting where a word comes from. Like, you know, our kids make up words all the time and then this world makes up words and there's new words that come and go. But where did our words come from? And so you have this word Gloria. And as far as I could research and study, the, the earliest that it's known to be used was in 1200 A.D. <clears throat> so the word is interesting because, uh, well, like many English words, it can be used as a verb, a noun, or even an adjective. So a noun can be the glory of God is a thing. Um, a verb is glorify him. An adjective would be that's glorious apparel. It's describing something. Um, but... I think that sometimes we use, we lose, and especially in society, and actually forget about society, especially in Christianity, we lose the real fruit of the meaning and purpose of the word, right? And and that comes with that laziness or lack of of care um, or importance of something. Um, so we lose the fruit of something because we simply maybe use it often, right? So the word amen can be used that way. You know, the word uh, praise, worship, holy, uh, even Christian, that word is used very loosely, you know, um, spirit, grace, sanctification. These words can lose a lot of their depth and meaning um, if, if you're not careful. And, and sometimes that's just from common use of them. Um, so and, and that's not really anybody's fault. We always need to kind of be stirred back up in the things, the original things, you know, the the foundational things of our faith. You know, Jesus Christ on the cross dying for our sins, that, that is something you should be extremely familiar with, and yet it shouldn't ever get old. 
And it's the same with these words, like in concepts like glory. Okay. So I'll declare to you that studying glory, there's, there's many, many parts of it that, um, are just simply beyond my comprehension. Um, and that's going to be the same with a lot of things of God. So, um, because I'm flesh, you know, I'm a man. And although I have some discernment and some, hopefully some wisdom from the Holy Spirit, there's just many things that will not be revealed to us. And we just don't have the capacity to understand them. And that's okay. That's okay. And I think there's a large contingency of Christianity that gets upset and frustrated with God because they're not okay with that just being okay. Like understanding and knowing all the answers. I'll tell you right now, if you can just, especially you young people, if you can just be okay with not knowing, you will get very far in your Christian life. It's that I've got to have an answer to this that starts somebody down a pretty bitter road, especially when dealing with really tough circumstances. You know, we lost our first son. We buried him in the ground. And if I got so stuck on why and I want an answer for this, we might not be here today, you know, and so, and the, and yet, you know, things like earth is a place for faith and heaven or for, uh, what is, how is that? Somebody say it. Heaven, earth is a place for trust and heaven is a place for understanding. something like that. But when you're going through those things, those little cutesy sayings don't quite do it for you, you know? So you really, really have to, you really have to solidify understanding of your limitations and be okay with them. All right. That'll, that'll help you. So, um, when I think of the glory of God, it makes me think of that really famous sermon of S.M. Lockridge, my King. Have you heard that sermon? He's my King. He's August. He's indescribable. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you. No. Okay. Well, it's amazing. And you should look it up when you're done here. My King by S.M. Lockridge. It's one of the greatest. I'll tell you what, it's like four minutes. So, it's a four-minute sermon, so there you go. You guys are like, oh, that's awesome. We'll do that. This will not be four minutes long. So I'll try not to go long, but like I said, I ramble. And if you want to flick the lights on me, I'm fine with that, okay? All right, so the Bible word uh, uses the word uh, to describe. Um, the Bible uses the word, and I'm going to try to describe it in more of a way of like mapping something out. We're going to kind of throw darts around it, Kind of like you, you know, you see like a, they throw a dart at a guy on a board and then he walks away and you see the figure of the guy. That's how we're going to uh, study glory. We're not necessarily going to nail it down and that's okay. But a lot of times all you need to do is kind of get a little map of it. And that's probably enough. And uh, that's a lot of the ways that the children of Israel had to understand God. He said, you're not going to see my face, but they were okay with seeing kind of the image or seeing a passing by of him, you know, and uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pass by glory and hopefully get a little concept of it. All right. So here's some other definitions of glory. And we'll, we'll look at a little bit of the what, where, why, how of glory. And uh, here's some more definitions of it, or actually um, not definitions, but if you were to open a, like a th- thesaurus and, and look up words that are similar, splendor, renown, Worldly honor, pomp, fame, magnificence, brightness. Now that one, if you're writing things down, underline that. Brightness. Uh, rejoice, vaunt, brag. 
Uh, and now we'll open up to some scripture. And I would say this is probably the main scripture. We're going to go to a ton of scripture. So we're not really necessarily going to come back here. But this would, if you were going to just write down one verse on this, write down Isaiah 60 verse 19. And if you want to turn there, go ahead. Isaiah 60 verse 19. All right, and I'm I'm somebody who, uh, and you could ask my my teens this if you ever run into them, but when I read verses, I sometimes get lost in the verse, and and like I I always feel like the Lord's hiding something in a verse, and so I, I kind of like do detective work in that verse. All right, it says the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee in everlasting light and thy God, thy glory. And, um, I told you to, to underline the word brightness. And really, if you, if you see this here, this verse is really pointing you in the direction of glory, having a lot to do with brightness and sun and the rays that something puts off. Okay. Whether it be light or warmth or power that's coming from it. Um, so that's kind of one of the main verses that I would use to explain glory. Um, all right, so we're going to look at what glory is in the Word of God, okay? And here's where we're going to go through a lot of verses. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 1, it is, atta- it is attached to great physical possessions of Jacob. Now, I don't have all these tabs, so I'm going to try to flip to them as fast as I can. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to move on. All right, Genesis 31, 1. It is attached to the great physical possessions of Jacob. And I believe this is the first use of the word glory in the, in the word of God. And he heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. All right. In Genesis 45, 13, it's acquainted with the fame and respect of Joseph in Egypt. All right. 45:13 And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that ye have seen and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. All right, it's attributed to a phrase of royal respect when Moses asks of Pharaoh, "Glory over me." Exodus 8:9. It's a very interesting use of the word here in Exodus 8:9. Moses says unto Pharaoh, "Glory over me." When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses that they may remain in the river only? It's attributed to a phrase of royal respect um, when Moses asked this of Pharaoh. All right, Exodus 16.7, it's accounted with God's miraculous provision and presence when he supplies the children of Israel with quail to eat. Exodus 16, verse 7. And these are alliteration. You'll notice every one of these is an A. Um, I did that because you have to do that. So, all right. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord for that. He heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? Exodus 16, 10. It's assumed in the veiling of himself with a cloud of darkness to shield the brightness of his person. Exodus 16, 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 24, 17, its appearance was a devouring fire on Mount Sinai in the eyes of the children of Israel. Exodus 24, 17. 
And the sight of the, of the glory of the Lord was like devour, devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. The sight of it. So they're getting, they're getting a little bit of physical characteristics of what glory looks like. And it looks like a devouring fire to them. All right. Exodus 28, 40. It's adorned within the garments of Aaron and his sons for sanctification. Exodus 28, verse 40. And for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats and thou shalt make them girt for, for them girdles and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. There it's associated with beauty. It's associated with something Wonderful, something a little ornate and bright. Exodus 29, 43, its ability to cleanse for God's use and presence and sanctification of the tabernacle is seen. Exodus 29, 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. That's pretty interesting. Not only can you see it, but it does something. The glory of God sanctified the temple. What's really interesting about that is we have a modern uh, use that's similar to that of light. Um, they use UV light to cleanse things. Um, there's even water filters that use light to kill germs. And it's interesting that God's glory went in there and his light, his brightness, the power that came off of his being and presence quite literally cleanse the temple. I, I find that really fascinating. All right, uh, Exodus thirty three eighteen. It's asked after to be seen by Moses. Exodus thirty three eighteen. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And Moses did not really know what he was really asking there. He really didn't. But we see that Moses got a little glimpse of it, don't we? Because he came off that mountain and his face was shining. And what's crazy is the children of Israel couldn't even look at his face. It was so bright. Let alone, they're not even seeing the one that he looked at. Uh, and obviously that's a supernatural thing. The scholars get all tied up about that. Like, well... This really was, you know, something else because, you know, there's no way he could have looked at the glory. Obviously, the Lord God sustained Moses to be able to look at him. It was not something that just naturally could have taken place. And for some reason, that's a huge problem when somebody looks at the word of God. Like, if he can say in the stars also, like, these little issues that you see sometimes in these Bibles where they have a side note and they're like, well, we know that that can't really happen. So what probably happened It's like, come on, man, why don't we just start at Genesis one, one or close the book? Like that's not a problem really. Anyways, I, I always find that funny when they have these, well, they couldn't have crossed there because it would have, yeah, it's a miracle. That's why it's called a miracle. Like, I don't understand why. It, anyways, I could go on about that for a while. And I remember thinking that as a child, Cause I had this little NIV, uh, Bible and it was like, uh, it was like a kid's version of it. And I remember reading that as a child. One of the stories, uh, maybe the mirror, one of the miracles of Jesus. I can't remember specifically, but distinctly remember kind of laughing that the, the person, whoever did the commentary on this little study Bible I had took issue with the miracle cause it was a little too miraculous. 
And I, I remember going to my dad and saying, this, this uh, like note here says that it couldn't have happened like that because of this. And he's like, and I remember my dad telling me, he said, well, what did they have to say about Genesis 1-1 in your Bible? And I was like, oh, nothing. It, it, they just said that's how it happened. <laughs> I don't know, you know. <laughs> all right. They're hypocrites is all it is, you know. They got to find something to say, otherwise they can't sell the Bible. Okay. That's a side note. That's not even, honestly, that's not in here at all. Exodus 40, verse 35. Uh, no, let's go to 33, 22. It's assessed as something that can move about as the wind. Exodus 33, 22. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Uh, Exodus 30, uh, Exodus 40, verse 35. It's acknowledged as being unapproachable as it fills the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 35. So Exodus 40, verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Uh, Deuteronomy 33:17 it's associated even with man and his power Deuteronomy 33:17 even associated with man and the power of man his glory is like the firstling of his bullock and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth. And they are the ten thousands of Ephraim. And they are the thousands of Manasseh. Uh, Joshua 7, 9. It's admonished to Achan to recognize God's authority. Joshua seven nineteen. Now, this one is a, interesting, particularly, because this is the first time in the Bible that I could find where someone is instructed to give glory to God. Joshua 7.19 And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, and hide it not from me. And uh, you, you should take notes of things like that, because I... It would not take me but a couple minutes uh, in the scriptures to, to prove to you that you should give glory to God. Um, and we'll cover a little bit of how do you give glory to God? Like, what does that even mean? So you have to pull from places and examples in the scriptures. Because otherwise, we're just going to talk about what my opinion on how to give the glory of God, give God glory. And honestly, that's what's happening in a lot of churches. It's just somebody's... Um, humanistic opinion or psychological or sociological opinion of how you would do something that the Bible tells you to do when you can quite literally go to the scriptures and find out how to do it. Um, And especially when it's something as important as giving glory to God. Um, Joshua says, give glory to him. and, And how does he give glory to God? And he says, make confession. Now, I'm not saying that every time you want to give glory to God, it's going to involve you confessing something, but I am saying that you can give glory to God by confessing something to him. And apparently Achan could have. Um, He did something wrong, and it was giving God glory to admit that to God that he did something wrong. And what's interesting about that is the first time that you and I really ever 
actively gave God glory was the day we got saved. And it's interesting that the day we got saved, really, a confession was made unto salvation. And your, your born-again life started, there was almost a spark like when a baby is brought into this world. And there was a spark of light, of glory, of you giving glory to God when you were born again. And it's a really interesting, the correlation between a baby uh, in conception and this spark that they have now actually observed to like, that is, you know what that is? That spark is the glory of God. It, I mean, you could define it quite literally, that brightness, that, that thing that happens is cannot be attributed to anybody but God. And the same thing happens in the new birth. And it's interesting, this story here of just a sinner. That's what we have here. You have a type of the new birth. Now, Aiken, Aiken does say, Hey, I did do this. Um, and there's like repercussions. Thank God we don't live in the Old Testament. You know, our new birth was not like Aiken's new birth. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, but here's a sinner who recognizes what they are and then is supposed to confess that to God. And that's essentially what happens in the new birth. You can't make it on your own. Jesus Christ paid the way. And you confess that to him. And then all of a sudden, there's a glory that's transacted. That's an amazing thing. All right, so that's a little quick note on giving glory. And the first time you did it was at salvation. All right. It's also, again, instructed to the Philistines. Um, we're not going to go there, but to stay a plague from their country. Uh, they, The Philistines were told to give glory to God, to stop a plague from their country. Now, you could go deeply into that and politics and how nations ought to behave in the sight of God and all that. But suffice it to say, I don't think any of them are going to do it. So, you know, but there's instruction that they could do that. All right. So um, let's see where are we going to go on now. But I, I would just say that in scriptures, glory is overwhelmingly this recognizing God in his rightful position in your heart, words and actions. That is overwhelmingly what it is in terms of your relation to God in giving him glory. All right. So we're going to, uh, we're going to study a little bit of like really, really simple Bible study, which is you figure out what something is by knowing what it isn't. Okay. So go to Proverbs three thirty five, and this is going to be a pivotal verse to show you without a shadow of a doubt, what glory is based on what it isn't. Proverbs 3.35. The Proverbs are really, really good for that too. You know, do this and don't do this. Hey, this is like this and that's like that. All right, Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise shall inherit glory. Okay? Now, if it stopped there, we're not quite sure what it is we're inheriting, <laughs> you know? Uh, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Well, we at least know that glory is the opposite of shame. So, um, it's hard to go much further than that on what exactly glory is, but I can touch a little bit on that. And the Bible says that in glory, one star differeth from another in glory. 
Now there's disputings as to are those, it says how ye shall shine as the stars in heaven, speaking to the saints. And uh, I've heard it taught that in eternity future, if that's even, that actually doesn't make sense, eternity future, but you know what I mean, that your inheritance of glory is quite literally a brightness that surrounds you in in eternity. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've often wondered, we obviously know, like down here we work for money. And if we're going to inherit something, we're hoping it's money or something that we can sell for money. And that's the way we are. That's the way this world works. But heaven is not so. And it's really hard to um, answer questions like, well, what do we do in heaven? What do we do for eternity? And I want to be able to give my kids like a really easy, quick answer. You know, well, well, you're going to, there's going to be harpers harping on their harps. We know that in Revelation. But like, are we just really going to harp for like, are we going to harp for a while or how long are we going to be harping? And I remember thinking that as a kid, like, well, I mean, it's cool to do for like, like the first thousand years, but what do we do after that? You know? And, um, and I just, I just wasn't, maybe I was just not satisfied with what was, you know, what was being presented to me. But, um, I can say this, I was talking to a buddy of mine and we were golfing and we, we do this, uh, gluttonous golf trip and I say gluttonous because we golf like six rounds in three days and it's too much golf and it's not moderation and my wife has rebuked me for it but needless to say we're talking about and my buddy says do you think there will be golf in heaven and I don't even like to talk about that because I'm extremely competitive and I love sports and I love all things sports and I love playing sports and I run our softball team in our, in our church and things like that. And thinking about sports in heaven makes me frustrated because I'm like, well, I think it won't be fun because we'll all be equally athletic. <laughs> like if you throw the pitch to me, I'm going to hit it a thousand meter, a thousand yards. But then when I throw the pitch to you, you're also going to hit it a thousand yards. And how long will we be happy with a, a tie game that's like 99,000 to 99,000? <laughs> or like how many yards does the par 5 have to be to be difficult in heaven? <laughs> like from the Milky Way to like somewhere else? So anyways, these are really foolish, stupid little things that I think of in my head. But like I said at the beginning of this, these are all thoughts like Solomon said of things under the sun. And the bottom line is your mind will be changed. And when I think about it, the best answer is, do you know how much you, talking to my buddy again, you know how much you you and I, like, we love golf, right? We love doing it. It's like, if we could think of one really fun thing we want to do this week, it would be golf 10 out of 10 times, right? Yeah, okay. Well, God gave us that ability to enjoy pleasure, right? Yes, he did, no doubt about it. To enjoy things that are good and fine and not sinful. Don't you think God knows how to have you be pleasured or find pleasure in eternity future? Far beyond what this carnal body is capable of receiving? So like, there may be no golf in heaven, but you better believe that there's something far more enjoyable 
And that's one of those things where you just simply can't explain it, and you have to be okay with knowing that. And once again, you'll never quite have the answer until you're there. But I'm comfortable with knowing the God who I serve and just the fact that there's things we can enjoy in this life, even with hurting backs and stuff, like I'll still go play softball and find enjoyment in it. And yet there's things in heaven that are like, you're going to do them without a fragile body. It'd be insane. So going back to glory, um, it is the glory of God, the Bible says, to conceal a thing. Um, no wonder his ways are past finding out. Uh, all the earth wonders at things that they can't find out, like NASA, uh, theology and re- religiosity. All they do is try to figure out things that they can't find out. And we know as Christians that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. And once again, that goes back to faith. It all, all goes back to faith. It's like you have to be okay with the one that created you and set this whole thing up and he makes the rules. Said, I like to conceal things. The world hates that. They hate a God who won't give them an answer. So, um, it will be revealed at the second advent though. So go to Isaiah 40 verses one through five. So you say, okay, so, so when does he do this? Well, this is, this is going to be an interesting thing. Isaiah chapter 40, one uh, verses one through five. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, prophetically, interestingly, this is a little bit of when Jesus comes and John the Baptist is there, but it's also, you can't quite fit it all in there when he came the first time. Some of it like Israel's iniquity is pardoned. Well, we know that that doesn't fully happen until they receive their Messiah. And so some of this, uh, most of the context of this is the return of their Messiah. So verse three, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. We, of course, we know that's John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There's that highway that Jesus is going to come through on. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now, in that day, we're going to have a much better understanding of what the glory of the Lord is. Because if it's revealed and it's just brightness and it's just really bright light that we can't see, I mean, you can try to stare at the sun and that's kind of a good picture of what glory is because you can only do it for a little bit and it's hard to look at. Um, But that day, that brightness, that glory is going to be revealed. So I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you a little bit about when it's going to be revealed. Uh, Let's go to... um, Let's see. I find this interesting, and we're going to go down a little rabbit hole here that you can study some other time. Go to Isaiah 42.8. Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I find that verse to be wildly interesting. And you say, why? Like, well, at surface level, it 
just says what it says, and it's like, okay, you're not going to steal God's glory. There's no gods before him. He's not, he's not down with idols. He doesn't want you worshiping anything other than him. And praise is supposed to go to him. He created all things, and they are created, and were created for his pleasure, right? But he won't share his glory with another. So here's this eternal... Now, some of this is going to be my theorizing and my opinion, and that's fine, and you can throw all of it out, and that's perfectly fine with me. But it seems to be that glory is an eternal brightness and energy that defies the laws of physics, and it's without waste or decay. So one of the most mind-bending things you can think about God is the I am that I am, the eternity of God. The, we can only think of him in context of time. We, we don't even have language without time context because we use words like past, present, future tense. But in eternity and God, and when you say where was God, like the atheist wants to argue what was there before God, and the word, the concept of before is not something that can even enter the argument. So how do you want me to answer you? And God answered the question as best as he could. That sounds irreverent, but that, as best as we could understand it, let's put it that way. I am that I am. It's the only answer I can give you about me. And truthfully, that's the best answer possible in the English language for us to understand God. He is. And, uh, that's in a, that's, that'll give you goosebumps if you think about it too long. Because you just, you just can't understand Okay, okay, I get it. But what about like way before? Or like way, way, way before? Or way before that? What, okay, take two trillion times two billion trillion years ago. And how about then? Where was he? And he's like, I am that I am. I wasn't. And uh, you can just kind of, like I said, you can just kind of map that out. But it starts to get fuzzy. Kind of like trying to remember a dream. It just kind of falls falls away from your fingers. Um, so... We're going to touch on this subject really quickly, and I'm going to give you a, I guess, a a little bit of my theory on something that explains, uh, for me anyways, quite a bit about the devil and Lucifer, because a lot of my questions as a young man, and even like later on today, or not today, but just throughout life, are questions concerning Lucifer, and the whys of the seemingly long leash that he gets. And if he is actively trying to send people to hell, why don't we throw him in the bottomless pit right now? You know? And if he can tempt and do all these things, and these are valid questions that people have that, frankly, Christians don't like to answer or approach because they're tough. Um, I think that there's some understanding of this. So, and here it is, and I'll just shotgun it out there. I think that um, I know God is a God of law and order and design. In fact, there really never is an example of God in any, if you want to say dispensation or time, where there wasn't some sort of commandment, right? Adam and Eve were given even commandments. But I would argue that There's always been law and order with God, even prior to the creation of what we know, right? 
Um, it's interesting that there's an angel that preaches something called the everlasting gospel in Revelation. And he flies through heaven and he sounds a trumpet and he preaches what's called the everlasting gospel. Now, maybe it's my, an assumption that's wrong, but everlasting is everlast, everlasting and it's kind of like I am that I am. It doesn't necessarily have the bounds of past or, t- or future to it. And that gospel is fear God and give glory unto him. That's interesting. So let's tie some things together about that. Um, I believe when God created Lucifer in the day that he created him, and we know a little bit about that in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28. Uh, we know a little bit about his creation. And it says, interestingly, in type, that he was, in the day he was created, he was created without fear. And I find that really interesting because the everlasting gospel is fear God and give glory unto him. I would argue with you that in any time frame, whether it's Old Testament saints or us or future whatever's happening uh, and when it happens, I would argue with you that faith, believing something because it was told to you to believe it, that's faith, basically, the evidence of things not seen. I believe that that is how you give the most glory to God that you can. In fact, Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? And all things were created for what? His pleasure. So you can tie that together pretty quickly. You have to have faith to please him, and all things were created for his pleasure. So all things have an element of faith. And I would argue with with you about this. A lot of people say, well, when Jesus comes, you don't really have to have faith anymore because there he is in front of you. The disciples didn't really have to have faith because, Jesus, well, no, they still had to have faith. And I would contend with you that even when Lucifer was created, he had to have faith. Why? Because anything that's created is not the creator itself. And the and Lucifer might not have even had a comprehension of how God could be who he is. In fact, I bet you that question rang through Lucifer's head over and over and over again. And because that is a question that you kind of have to tackle as a Christian is why? Why did Lucifer do that? We know why Adam and Eve did it. They were tempted. But I think a harder question is why did Lucifer do it? And so um, we'll just touch on this really quick and then we'll go back to glory. I think that um, the Lord will not share his glory with another. And I think it's possible as the devil's seemingly uh, main occupation was to bring praise and worship to God. And that's commonly known. Um, he was created with pipes and tabrets and uh, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. And um, I believe that he was kind of over directing the praise of the creations of God to God. And I think that the devil started to wonder the same thing that mankind sometimes wonders, which is how are you God? How did you get to be God? And what's your beginning? And I think it's possible that the devil noticed something about God that nobody else was allowed to have. And that was glory. And I think that the devil got it in his mind that if he could somehow intersect the glory, which maybe he thought was the life, the energy force of God, I don't know. But maybe that came into his mind. Like, what sustains God? 
And I'll show you a verse on that pretty soon. But just to, to cut this short, I think the devil thought if he could just somehow get the power of God, because it doesn't make sense that he thinks he can overthrow God. He's not dumb. He obviously thought he could. He said, I will ascend above the most high. He obviously thought if he could intercept the glory that was being given to God, that must be his life force. That must be his energy force. If I can intercept that, then I could be like God. Um, that's just my theory, and that helps me sleep at night. I don't know. But it gives me some answers that uh, of pr- pretty deep questions that are a little bit more mature and a little bit more meaty. Um, but it's funny, kids in my teen class have these questions. Why would the devil do that? Wasn't everything going fine? Yeah, that's a great question, you know. Uh, so um, it seemed that he thought he could, because it's the same thing the devil's doing nowadays. He's trying to steal God's glory. Um, so glory for us. Because we have glory. In fact, we can receive a crown, uh, a crown of glory. And the Lord even says he'll give you glory. Now, that seems a little um, contradictory because he won't share his glory with another. But what's interesting is that you and Jesus Christ and I are one. And that is a mystery in the word of God, and we know that. And there's something to that that quite honestly will just... It'll either send you praising God and running around or it'll just put you in like one of those, like, I, I gotta get out of my head. That's too wonderful for me. Because, uh, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And then he said that your bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And I'm not saying like, well, we become God, but I'm just saying it's, it's strange that he won't share his glory with another, but he will give us glory. So there's definitely glory. And I'll show you, um, Let's see, uh, go to, uh, let's see, Galatians 5.26 really quick. I just want to show you scripture on this. Galatians 5.26. Well, well, that's, this is just, let, let us not be desirous of vain glory. And then in First Peter, uh, I think First Peter 1.7. Yeah, this might be it. First Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried of fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That the trial of your faith would, would be found in the glory. Um, and then First Peter one twenty four, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. It fadeth away. And then if you couple this with, um, let's see, Isaiah... No, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 4.17. And we'll wrap this up really quick because I know my kids are like falling apart. For our light, listen to this, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, we use that verse all the time. As Christians, Bible-believing Christians. What does that mean? What is a weight of glory? Well, I, 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 I don't know, ultimately. But it does seem that it, it has something to do with, although God doesn't share His glory with anybody, it's interesting when you become a part of the body of Christ. 
that all of a sudden you are seemingly entitled to a weight of glory. And it's almost like the ultimate mockery to Lucifer. And I would say it's probably why he hates the body of Christ so much. Is because we're getting in on something that he tried to get. And there's something about the glory of God that's going to be revealed in us, too. Um, so like I said, you can't quite get your finger on it. But I'll end this with just saying how to glorify God. Well, it goes back to confession. All right, not just the confession of sin or wrongs or faults. But it goes back to confessing Him. You want to give the most possible glory to God because you don't get far in the scriptures until you realize that's pretty much a job that is required of us to give him glory. Um, so here's some questions. Are you embarrassed in private to give him glory? Now that's a funny question, but now I, I know a lot of people who are scared of their own voice. You go home alone and audibly speak to God and audibly give him worship and praise. Go outside at night and look up to the heavens and speak to the God who created them and give him glory. Praise him. Honor him. Speak of the lowliness of you and the highness of him. And you will, if you don't feel the presence of God, I really don't know what to tell you, but it won't take you very long. And I'm not talking about some weird, weird, charismatic feeling, but you will feel the presence of God because the Holy Spirit beareth witness to that. Um, do you only glorify him in song? That's a danger. Probably I am doing lessons on this for the next eight weeks in our church. I believe that to be the number one danger in church today. That people worship worship music. Maybe not in this church, but certainly in 99% of what's being called church today. The experience of worship is stealing glory that's supposed to be going to God, but it's really just being consumed on people's own lusts. And it's an experience that people get gluttonous in. And do you only glorify him in song? Do you steal glory from the Lord and heap all those goosebumps and feels to yourself? Or you, do you give them to him truly? Um, I have a, a brother. I hope you guys know this guy, Brother Sean Holes. We call him Sean the Baptist. I don't know if you've ever run into him. He is a college evangelist, college campus evangelist. And that's a tough place to be an evangelist. And when I say evangelist, I mean it in the true sense of the word. Like he sets up a little thing on the campus, gets a permit, gets a Bible, and then tries to conversate with anybody around him. And he is berated and belittled. And just imagine what's on college campuses today. And they surround him and he does it with a smile on his face and with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he has a saying that he says that I just absolutely love. And I think if you bring this with you, it will help you to give glory to God. He says, I just want to make Jesus famous. And I really like that. I want to make Jesus famous. And I know that Jesus he's talking about is the right one. Um, let's see. Uh, and I, I asked the question, forget about, these are more for teens sometimes. <laughs> but forget about fame. Is Jesus even in your contact list? Does he ever hear from you? 
Would your friend group cringe if you attributed praise to him? If you said that at work, oh, praise the Lord. Not just to be that guy, but to actually give glory to God. And that's hard for me. Because sometimes I'm like, well, I don't want to say this because I don't want them thinking I'm doing it to do something to them. And you know what? Forget that. Forget about their thoughts and the interaction going on. And that's what this world, the, the Christians of this world are so stuck on. Forget about your effectiveness with the person in front of you. And remember that he's number one priority. Even beyond winning this soul, God has to receive glory. And that's a tough thing for people to swallow. Um, do you spend more time glorying in the things of God more than the God of God's? I mean, really think about that. And that goes a little bit to that worshiping worship music. That's a thing of God. But it's all of a sudden pointed your focus away from the God of God's and more on the things of God. This happened a lot. This happens with preaching even. Bless God! I tell you what, uh, when he comes down, uh, and people are like, oh man, man, he just preached. Did you guys hear that? What did he say? <laughs> I mean, that actually might be a good sermon, but a lot of that happens, and it happens on a lot, a lot of college campuses, and, and just in, in revival meetings, and it's, um, it's not dissimilar to what's happening in your modern Christian church, and it is an event. And it's an experience. You missed it, man. And I get it. You don't want to miss the meeting. But what did what did I miss? What happened? Well, the bus is gone. Oh, I missed it. Um, it's not an event. Okay. Uh, and the last thing is, I just want to tell you is, stop being ashamed of your God. And I'm not saying that you are. And I have to say that to myself, too. He, um, very soon, he's going to come back. And, and I don't know if my first thought is going to be, why was I ashamed of him? You know, there he is. You know, so I hope it's been a blessing to you. And like I said, I'm a rambler. And uh, I get a little bit caught in my the heaviness of my own thoughts sometimes. But I hope it's caused you to, to think a little bit and be stirred up about giving glory to God because you could pretty much show that that is, um, that would be number one priority in your life as a Christian is to make sure you're giving glory to him and to be pleasing him. And that, that comes out in many, many different ways. So, uh, we'll pray tonight and uh, I guess I'll have brother Dan come up and, and wrap up the service. I'm not sure how you do that. So thank you for letting us come here. Appreciate it.